Let's do it. Let's go to the word. I'm excited to preach tonight's message. And come on, man, wasn't our worship incredible tonight? Such a, I just telling you, there, I feel, I feel a peace in this house like I don't know I've ever felt before. I, I just feel the peace of God uh, over this place and over this house. And I believe that God's going to do incredible things tonight. Let's go to the word. I'm going to read out of my Bible. Let's read out of, out of this book tonight. I like to open, open up some paper pages and fill this book. Come on. Let's read. Y'all ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be with able to stand the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Doesn't this sound like the passage of scripture that we've read the last two weeks in Corinthians? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost verbatim what he's saying here. Verse number 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be with able to, to withstand in the evil day and having all and having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded up your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Open up every ear, open up every heart, open up every mind to receive of your word. Change us and challenge us tonight, God. We need to hear your voice. We want to leave this place different. We want to leave full of faith. We want to leave full of strength. We want to leave full of joy. We want to leave full of hope, God. So speak to us tonight. We need you. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Thanks so much, Landon. Appreciate you. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. So Paul, he writes a letter, and you may know this, some of you may not, but these books that, that we read, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, are letters that are written to the church, many of them by the Apostle Paul, this one in particular, written by the Apostle Paul. So he writes this letter to Ephesus. And what he was really trying to do is he was writing this letter to Ephesus, and we're going to get to this part, but I want to preface it by, preface it by saying this. He was writing this letter to the church to encourage unity among the church. Because what you had is you had Jewish believers and you had Gentile believers. Jewish believers obviously are God's chosen people. They come from this lineage, from this line. They're, uh, they're natural-born Israelis. So this is that line that's in the church. 
Now, Jesus has adopted in people that weren't born in that line. He's now offered them salvation, which would be us. He's offered us grace. And so now you've got Jewish people who would never associate with Gentiles previous to this day trying to serve the same God under the same roof. So can you imagine that there's probably some tensions here? Can you imagine that there's probably some things that they're battling with and that they're dealing with that Paul writes to the church of Ephesus and he's preaching unity? Go back and read chapter 3 and you'll really see where Paul begins to drive home unity in the church. You know, and I think for any army, because he goes on from talking about this to then talking about soldiers, and I think with any army, how many of you would agree that unity is, is really important? That when an army is going to hit the battlefield, that they need to be in sync, that they need to know what the plan is, that communication needs to be clear so that when they hit the battlefield, that they all attack with the same motive and with the same purpose in mind. And so Paul in these first couple of chapters really drills in and drives in on unity and then he turns into the armor. He turns into the way that we should be clothed. But what I want to point out is this this unity. Because if an army is going to be effective, we have to have, come on, say it with me, unity. The best militaries in the world, they're they're in sync. They work as a, a unit. You can have multiple divisions and branches and departments, and they are all working together in a synchronized attack. In fact, get all of the men to boot camp, and what's one of the first things that they have them start doing? They have them start running and walking and marching together in cadence, in unity. Why? Because they know the importance of unity. In fact, I'll say this. If we don't have unity as a church, we'll easily fall to the enemy's attack. Come on, as a church, we got to be unified. That's why we're doing this corporate fast is because we're coming together in unity, believing for certain and specific things, all praying, all bombarding heaven at the same time. Why we are in unity. And I believe that a corporate fast brings unity. We're getting focused. Why? Because we know where God is taking us in this year. We know the things that he's calling us to. We know the things that he's calling us to accomplish. So what do we have to do? We've got to get in unity together. So Paul writes this letter to the church all about unity. And he closes with this. He closes with this picture of a soldier. He closes with this picture of a a soldier that is clothed in his armor from his head all the way down to his feet. And he begins to go through each piece of this armor, and he describes each piece in a certain way. But he starts all of this out by what? The, and I've tried to emphasize this week after week, the seriousness of the battle that we're in. He starts it off by this. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Come on, how many of you know that the devil has some schemes against some of us? That he's got his target on some of us, on some of you, that you've been going through hell, that you've been going through it. But I'm telling you, we've got to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. He said, because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what? Against rulers 
and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's saying, listen, before I tell you how you're going to be clothed, I want you to know that we're headed into a battle that's real. We're headed into a battle that's difficult, and it's going to take unity, and it's going to take something beyond yourself. It's not clothed in earthly armor and, and earthly you know, garb. What you need is you need the power of the Holy Spirit, and you need God's armor protecting you. Come on, somebody say amen. So he begins to list out this armor. And as he's listing it out, it's all armor that people from that day and age would know. They would live under the Roman rule, and so their soldiers were placed everywhere. So they would see the soldiers on the street. They would see them in their breastplate. They would see them with their swords. They would see them with their shields and with their shoes and every piece of armor, their helmets. They would know. So as he's writing this letter to them and he begins to describe each part of this armor, they would be familiar with the armor that he is describing. In fact, Paul might even recognize it better than anybody. Why? Because Paul spent so much time in prison. Paul spent time in jail. He got up and close with these Roman centurions and these Roman guards. So he begins to go through and describe. And the first thing that he comes to, if you're taking notes, is the belt of truth. And the belt of truth simply represents the integrity that holds it all together. I think that there's a reason that, number one, he started with the belt. And number two, that he calls the belt truth. Because we have to know and understand that it's going to be our integrity that holds everything else together. Because we can have all these other pieces, but if we aren't living in integrity, if we aren't walking in truth, if we aren't walking in righteousness, none of the other weapons are going to do us any good. We can have the word. You might even have some faith, but I'm telling you, if you're living a double-minded life, what good is it going to do? In fact, Proverbs 11.3 says it this way, the integrity of the upright, it what? It guides them. But watch, the unfaithful are destroyed by what? Their duplicity. If you're double-minded, if one day you're in the church and one day you're in the world, if one day you serve God and one day you serve your own fleshly desires, if one day you're here and, listen, you can't serve God one day and, and serve the world the other day. It's one way or the other. And the Bible tells us that the first thing that we have to have is integrity wrapped around our waist. Why? Because it's going to hold everything else together. But watch this, the belt. The belt had places where the sword would go. The belt had places where the shield would hang. And if we don't have integrity, guess what? We don't have anywhere to put the sword. We don't have anywhere to hang the faith. I want you to notice that the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the Word of God, it hangs on our integrity. Because if we're not walking this book out, if we're not reading this book and then putting it into practice in our life, what good is this book? But the integrity is what goes around our waist and it's what everything else hangs on. In fact, as I was coming up here tonight, I realized I don't have on a belt. 
And I was like, I never go without a belt. And then it reminded me, there was one other time that I preached without a belt. And I don't think I've ever preached without a belt uh, since this night. And uh, it was a big conference, and we probably had, it was our biggest youth conference that we had ever had. We had like, it was like 750, 800 kids in the room. And my buddy had let me borrow his pair of jeans uh, because I'd left mine at home or something. And so I'm wearing his jeans. They're not my jeans. I don't have my belt. I get up on stage. I'm preaching. And all of a sudden, I notice my pants are falling down. And I'm like, what's going on? And I just kind of did like a little check. And I noticed that my button wasn't buttoned. So not only was I not wearing a belt, my button wasn't buttoned. As so I'm freaking out, I'm like, my pants are going to come unzip, and they're going to fall down around my ankles in front of all these kids. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get fired. What in the world? And I'm literally, so I kept, like, fidgeting with it, as I, you know, and I, I kept, like, trying to get it. And finally, I just knew, I'm like, my pants are going to come down. So I was like, every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> and the... And the pulpit that I was preaching behind was see-through. I'm like, why do I have to have a see-through? So I just, every head bowed, every eye closed, and I just took the mic, and I set it down for just a second. Buttoned my pants. And then afterwards, I, I told him, I said, look, my pants were unbuttoned. I said, I didn't really need to pray right there. But how many of you know a belt is important? A belt is important. I was self-conscious for weeks after. Every time I would do a zipper check and a belt check, every time before I went on stage, I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good to go. I can preach now. But we need a belt, and we need the belt of truth. Come on, somebody say amen. Second, second armor that he names off is the breastplate of righteousness. And I want to spend a little bit of time here because the breastplate of righteousness talks about holiness that protects your heart. And we need holiness to protect our heart. Because righteousness is simply this. It's biblically described or defined as this. It's right standing with God. Righteousness is is right standing with God. And the only way that we can be in right standing with God is through a relationship with Jesus. Come on, aren't you thankful for Jesus? And if you're living for Jesus and you're walking in his righteousness... This breastplate will do its job and it will protect your heart. But what happens, and it's similar to what happens with the belt of truth when we step out of integrity, it's the same thing when we step out of righteousness and and we step out of God's holiness and plan. The Bible says that we're to be holy as he is holy, but when we step outside of that plan that he has for us and, and we indulge in the sin that satisfies our flesh, what we do is we step outside of that and we make our heart vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Because how many of you have ever had sin hurt your heart before? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. We've made decisions that we regret and shame has come upon us or come in our heart or in our life. And we've made those decisions to where we've looked back and we've gone, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But if we would have had on the breastplate of righteousness, how many of you know our heart would have been protected? We need God's righteousness over our life. Listen to the way that 2 Timothy says it. It says, flee also youthful lust, but what? Pursue what? Righteousness. 
Pursue right living with God. Pursue faith. Pursue love and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We've got to flee the youthful lust. We've got to flee the sins that try to draw us back in and pull us back in. And what we need to do is pursue righteousness. Because if you want your heart protected, it starts with righteous living. Come on, somebody say amen tonight. Because you you go into the world and you give your heart to all sorts of things. What do you get in return? You get in return hurt and pain and regret, shame. But if you'll protect your heart with righteousness, you'll protect your heart and you'll walk in the peace and the joy that only God can bring. I love the way that Proverbs says it. It says, above all else, guard your what? Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Why is the breastplate of righteousness so important? Because it protects what everything else flows do you, want, do you want to be bitter? Do you want to be angry? Don't, don't let things in your life that will make you bitter and angry. We go around and give our hearts to so many different things, and, and we can allow ourselves to enter in relationships with people or whatever that, that don't align with the people that we need to be associated with, and our hearts can get hurt, and then we get anger, and then we get bitter, and then we get mad at God. But the Bible says, look, guard your heart above all else, and how do we do that? With righteous living. Jeremiah 17, 9 would say it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if my heart, my emotions, what I feel, what I think I want can lead me astray, can lead me into wickedness, if it is deceitful above all things, what do I need to do? Man, I need to put on God's righteousness. Because, look, it's not my righteousness. What does the Bible say about my righteousness? It's as filthy rags. That's why I take up his righteousness. And when I'm covered in his righteousness, guess what? It protects my heart from the attack of the enemy. That's good stuff right there. The third thing that he said is he said, take up those shoes of peace. Take up those shoes to peace. And I love this one because it is peace to walk wherever God is leading. Well, I think that we have some people in here tonight that need some peace to walk wherever God is leading. Because it can be scary to go when God says, hey, I need you to move. Hey, I need you to do this. Hey, I need you to step out to walk in those things. But what I know is that God wants us to walk in peace. So watch these. The the Roman soldiers, they had these spikes on the bottom of their shoes. And they say that these spikes were for two purposes. One was this. One was for stability. Because as you know, these these soldiers were walking through crazy terrain, walking through uh, all, you know, out to battle on the battlefield. And they wanted to be sure that they're not slipping when they're stepping, when they're making that their their footing is sure. And so they put these nails that, that offered stability. Because they would cross this terrain and they would need it to, to offer them a firm footing. Because peace in our lives, shoes of peace give us this. They offer us stability. Because how many of you know when there's, when there's 
toil and, and all kind of mess going on in your life and you don't have peace and, and it just seems like all hell is breaking loose in your life, come on, wouldn't you just like some peace just to walk through the hard times, just to walk through the difficult situations that I don't have to worry about slipping or faltering or failing, but I've got peace that I just continue to walk out the plan and the purpose of God, that I don't let what the enemy is trying to do stop me. I walk in peace. Come on. It offers me stability. Peace offers me stability in my everyday life. But number two, watch this. Those shoes were a weapon. Those shoes were a weapon. They had these like spikes on these shoes that were a weapon. That if they needed to, they could just stomp on the enemy. And can I tell you that there's sometimes that with our peace, you know what we can do? We can just, we can stomp on the enemy. Because he thought what he was going to do to us would send us in a downward spiral, would rob us of our peace, would send us into a depression. But we just stand up on peace and we put our foot on the enemy and we go, I've got peace in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the situation, in the midst of what I'm going through. I have peace. Come on, is there anybody that just wants to stomp on the devil with some peace tonight? I love how Romans 16, 20 says that it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And what does Paul tell us? We have, we have shoes of peace. You want to know why I can walk in peace? Because I know that the God of peace, he's going to crush the enemy under my feet. Because I know that there's no weapon formed against me that will prosper. Because I know that wherever I walk, I walk in the peace and the security of God. That wherever I go, whatever our, and listen, I'm not telling you that, that these shoes make every, wouldn't you like to have some magic shoes that you could just walk in peace wherever you went? Wouldn't you just, everything, as soon as I walked in the room, man, if somebody was fighting, everything just went to peace. That everywhere, I just, just, wouldn't you like that? That's not what it is. The Bible doesn't say that life is just going to be good if you put on the gospel. That's not what it says. What it says is that when you walk through the hard times, you will have peace. You'll have stability and you'll be able to stand on the enemy. Why? Because God already overcame him and he will be overcome one day and he is under our feet. Come on. Man, that's our promise today. And then he said we have the shield of faith. We have the shield of faith. The shield of faith does this. Faith gives you confidence. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it literally, the Bible defines faith as this. It gives you the definition in the Bible. Now, faith is what? Confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and the things that we're praying for and the things that we're believing for and the things that we're fasting and bringing to God every morning in our 30-minute prayer time that we're having together as we're coming together. Look, we're, we have confidence in what we hope for. Why? Because we have a God that says, you know what? If you pray, if two or three gather in my name, I hear you, and I'm going to answer your prayer. 
And so we have confidence in what we hope for and what? Assurance about what we do not see. Even though I can't see it, even though I don't know how you're going to make it happen, even though I don't know how you're going to make a way, what I am sure of is that you are going to lead me through the storm. You're going to get me through it. And that's what this is. Uh, This shield of faith gives us confidence and assurance in what I can't see. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but God, I know that you are going to get me there. I don't know how we're going to get a building. Come on, somebody. But we are going to get a building. Last week, it was a hard no. This week, it's about a 50%. Come on, Lord, let's just keep on pushing it and pushing it. And God's going to get us where he needs us to be. Because faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. I love the story of Daniel in the book of Daniel. And the Bible says that he began to fast and that he began to pray. And he did a, a fast for 21 days. And this is where we get our pattern for our fasting that we do is from the book of Daniel in this story. And on the 21st day, the angel of the Lord comes to Daniel and he said, I heard your prayer on day one. But there were spiritual forces that held me up in heaven and I couldn't get to you until today. And what I want to tell you is that there may be some things that you're praying for and that you're battling for and that you're fighting for that the answers are out there. You just got to keep going after God. Now's not the time to stop. Now's not the time to give up. Now's not the time to throw in the towel. You're right on the edge of everything that you've prayed for, hoped for, cried out to God for, that you went hungry. Come on, if you went hungry for it, you might as well just keep on seeing it through, pushing through. You might have been hangry all week. Come on, keep going. Why? Because the answer is on the other side. You just got to keep going. You got to have that faith. You got to have that confidence. You have to have that assurance. In fact, listen to how uh, Romans says it. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do you hear it? You hear it in three ways. You hear it in worship. Worship, I would say it is this way. Worship is you building your faith. When you're riding down the road and you just cut on worship music, and you just turn it up. I, I got called up on this song yesterday that just says, all your promises are yes and amen. I probably listened to that song a dozen times yesterday. Because I just kept declaring that over my life, over my family, over this church. God, all your promises, they're yes and amen. So how do we build our faith? We worship. We sing songs like, you know what? It may look like I'm surrounded, but God, I know that you are the one that is surrounding me. The enemy may be coming in in one direction, but God, when you come into a situation, he flees in seven. And so we just begin to build our own faith. So so worship is literally building your faith. Why? Because you're singing this book. You're singing this word. When I'm singing all your promises are yes and amen, it's scripture. And I'll show you here in just a second. You're declaring the word and that builds your faith. Number two, by reading. You need to open this book and read it. How does your faith grow? How does your faith increase? You read this book. You read about the miracles that Jesus did. You read about the things that he did. You read about the blinded eyes that were opened. You read about... 
the walls of Jericho that came down, and, and God begins to speak to you through those stories. You open up the app, and you read along with us in the daily devotional, and, you, and God just begins to speak. This whole week, we've got seven days of devotionals in the app. You can open it up, and every day it's going to focus on a specific piece of the armor, and you're just going to walk through it. And I guarantee you, this week, is God is going to speak to you. And as you read these verses, as you read this word, guess what? You're hearing it. And faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing the word of God. And number three, preaching. Others build your faith. Others encourage you. Others lift you up. Others begin to declare the word of God over your life. And you hear it and you go, yeah, you're right. Man, man, I, I, I walked into church and I was down. I walked into church and I wasn't believing. I walked into church and I wasn't full of faith. And it may not be me. You, you might have zoned out at some point and not heard anything I said, but you go out to the lobby and somebody says something to you and boom, God speaks to you and faith rises up in your heart. And you go, oh, yeah. No, no, no. I am who God said that I am. I can do what God said that I can do. I, accomplish, I can accomplish all that God has set before me and faith arises in your heart. So it can happen in those three, week, in those three ways. But what I know is that we need faith for the fight. And then he says the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. And it's just simply this. The word is our weapon. The word is our weapon. Because you need to understand my words are not going to hurt the enemy. I, I can tell the devil, I can be like, man, you're dumb. You're stupid. You're, you know, and he's going to be like, oh. <laughs> he's not going to care. He's not. He's not going to care. But when I use this word, something's different. Because this isn't my word. This is God's word. And there's power behind this book. There's power behind these words. These are not just words that are written on a page. These are not just words that man written. Man wrote these words, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they wrote these words. This is God's word, and God's word, I'm telling you, does damage to the enemy. I've seen it with my own eyes physically. It does damage to the enemy. It does. And we need this book. We need this word. The Bible describes it as this, that it says in, in Hebrews 4, 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive and it is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Do you ever been reading this book and it reads you? Come on, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? You're reading this book and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, that got me. You're like, God, why did we have to go there this morning? God, why'd you have to call me out this morning? God, why'd you have to hurt me like that? Because the Bible says that it's alive and active. It's not some old book that's dead and useless. No, the Bible says it's alive and active. It is sharper than any double sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Come on. Y'all know you've been reading this book, and it judged the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and the Bible said, you better get out of that right now. You snapped at your spouse that morning, and then you went and read your Bible, and the Bible said, you better get in there and tell her you were wrong and that you're sorry and that you know that you shouldn't have said that and been so dumb. And the lady said, yes, because the Bible will judge even our hearts and our thoughts. If you'll open this book, I promise you, not only will you read it, but it 
will read you. So I want you to see this picture with me. The soldier dressed from head to toe. And I I left out one piece, and I realized that in my notes as I'm preaching the helmet of salvation. I'm going to come back and talk about that next week. But he comes back, and he gives us this picture of this armor. And he's got a shield on this left hand. He's got this sword and the right hand. And this sword is, is the word of God. And he uses it to fight with the devil. But then the devil fights back. And what the devil will do is the devil will take this word and twist it and try to use it to deceive you. But the Bible says you've got this, this shield of faith. You've got this shield of faith. And what, what these soldiers would do, this, this shield would be wrapped in leather. And then they would dip this leather in water before they would go on the battlefield. So it would be soaked in wood because they would shoot fiery arrows. So he said, you'll be able to extinguish the fiery arrows of the evil one. So as these fiery arrows were coming at them, it would hit their shield and it would extinguish because they were soaked in water. And so he draws this parallel that we've got that as we're using the word and and we're saying this is what God has said about me and that God has said that I am more than a conqueror and that I have victory and that I have victory. And as we're declaring all these things, Satan will try to come and twist the word and we've got this faith that will extinguish the arrows of the enemy. But what I love is that these soldiers would come together in unity. And they would take their faith. And these Roman soldiers, some of you have probably seen the movies where they do this, where they take their shields and they would stand side by side and they would lock those shields in place all the way down. And they would get down and they would get behind these shields. And they would have this huge shield wall. What happens is that as we come together as a church and we bring our faith together, what we form is we form this unpenetrable wall. And there may be some Sundays that you walk in church and you have zero faith. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. I've walked into a service and had zero faith. But somebody next to me had faith. And the person over here had faith. And I might have left myself vulnerable to attack, but when I'm in the capital C church, when I'm in this church, I know I've got people on my right and on my left that are going to shield me with their faith. That when I'm weak, that when I'm tired, that when I can't believe, guess what? I know that I've got good people. I've got a prayer team that's going to be covering me in prayer. I've got people that are praying at 345 every week that are going to cover me in prayer. I've got people all around me that are going to text me and encourage me and lift me up. Why? Because when I don't have faith, I know that I've got a family full of faith all around me that's keeping me safe and fighting this battle for me. I want you to stand on your feet. I want the band to come back. The final thing it says is this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. It's all kind of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert. And always what? Keep on praying. Always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Final thing he did is he said, look, 
You've got all this armor. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray and you need to keep on praying. In fact, I want to I want to just rattle off just a few scriptures because the Bible talks so much about prayer and it is a weapon. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request or prayers be known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything pray. Mark eleven twenty four says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for do we do not know what to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. James 5.16, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Matthew 26.41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. But this is the will of God for Christ Jesus. What is the will of God? That you rejoice always, Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So let me get back to the whole purpose that Paul was writing this letter. He said, I'm writing you about what? Unity. And there's nothing that can unify a church more than prayer and fasting. And so what I want us to do, I want us to gather at this altar just for the last about seven minutes of service and I just want us to pray and you may have come here tonight and you may have little faith guess what we got you you may be believing for big things God can do it you may be believing for little things God can do it so come on why don't you step out of your seat why don't you meet me down here at this altar and we're going to pray we're going to come together in unity. We're going to take up that shield of faith. We're going to take up that sword of the spirit. We're going to take up those shoes that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Take up that helmet of salvation. Take up that breastplate of righteousness. So come on, can we just lift our hands in this altar for a moment? Let's just worship him. We just always want to just welcome him in. That's how we start our prayers. We just worship him. Just talk to him for just a minute. Come on, in your own words. Come on, why don't you just open your mouth and just, just begin to tell him. Don't worry about who's on your left or right or, you know, what if they hear me pray? That's all right. They can hear you pray. Come on. There, there's no words that you're going to say that are the wrong words. You just pray what's in your heart. And right now, we just thank you, God. We just worship you, Lord. 
We give you thanks for who you are, God. You're holy and you're righteous, God. We thank you that we're only made righteous, God, because of your righteousness, God. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands, God. Thank you for the crown of thorns. Thank you for the stripes that you took on your back, Lord. Thank you, God, that you were pierced in your side, Lord. And thank you for an empty grave. Thank you for an empty tomb, God. Because of it, we have life, and we have life more abundantly. So we give you praise for that. And, God, we thank you that you're a holy God. We thank you that there's no sin in you. Never has there been, never will there be, but you are a righteous God. And it is that righteousness that protects our heart. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for your love. Come on, can you thank him for his love right now? Maybe you just need to picture him on the cross for a moment. Maybe you just just need to picture him hanging. Maybe you just need to, to picture your Savior bloody and dying on the cross for your sins. Maybe you need to go back to that moment and remember the sacrifice that he made for you. We we thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for caring for us, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And Lord, today, come on, we take up integrity. Tell him right now, God, I take up integrity. I take up this belt of truth, God. Lord, Let my life reflect you in everything that I do, everywhere that I go. Let my life and my heart reflect you, God. May people at church know me as an on-fire, born-again Christian. May friends at my workplace or school or neighborhood or wherever they are, may they know me as an on-fire, for real, born-again Christian. God, may my life be a life of integrity that reflects you and points people back to you, God. I thank you for that. And Lord, come on, I put on your righteousness. Can you just say that right now? I put on your righteousness, God. Lord, I thank you. I believe with with my heart. I confess with my mouth that you died and that you rose again. Lord, and it's that confession, God, that saves me and covers me in righteousness. Lord, I, I put off my righteousness, my filthy rags. God, clothe me, cleanse me, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, and protect my heart. And Lord, I pray, God, that any time for any person in this place, Lord, as we've opened our hearts to attack, God, that you would bring healing on our hearts. Lord, we just pray against bitterness right now. We pray against anger right now. We pray against depression, Lord, that may have come from a wounded heart when we didn't protect ourselves with your righteousness, Lord. In Jesus' name, we release it to you. Come on. Can you release bitterness right now? Can you release anger right now? And can you just ask God, heal me. Heal my heart. No more guilt. No more shame. But touch me, God. Touch me, God. Touch me, God. Touch me, God. Touch my heart tonight. Touch my heart tonight. Heal my heart. Come on, there's somebody, your heart needs to be healed. You've walked through some life. You've been wounded. You've been hurt. And you need to pray, heal my heart, God. Heal my heart, God. Heal my heart, God. Heal my heart, God. I need you tonight, Jesus. And Lord, we take up peace. God, I come against depression tonight. Lord, it's running rampant in our society, but we come against it, and we bind it in Jesus' name. I come against anxiety right now in Jesus' name. It's running rampant in our society, but God, thank you in Jesus' name that anxiety 
can be cured and healed if we will walk in your peace. So today we walk in your peace, God. Lord, we just know that as we face trials and tribulations and situations, wherever we go, God, that we walk in peace. We walk in your security, God. We're coming after you today, Lord. We walk in your peace. Come on, just take on his peace, God. We take on a peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, God. And we take up your word. We take up your word. We believe what your word has to say about us. God, I declare your word over your people today that they are more than conquerors. God, I thank you that they can do all things through Christ that gives them strength. That means every battle that they're facing, they can overcome it. Lord, they're not bound by strongholds, but they've been set free because your word declares who the sun sets free is free indeed. So, God, your freedom over your people tonight, addiction is broken in Jesus' name, God. Lord, I thank you, Father, that a spirit of lust is not going to live in our homes, Lord Jesus. But, God, our minds will be healed and delivered and set free, God, in Jesus' mighty name. We'll be made whole. We'll be healed because your word says that we are are free. And God, I thank you that you said that it's by your stripes that we're healed. So healing over every heart, over every mind, over every past situation, healing, God, in Jesus' name, we receive it. We receive your healing. You said, God, that healing is the children's bread. So God, we receive healing. We receive healing right now. Lord, let your word go to work in our lives. No weapon formed against us. Come on, somebody needs to declare that over your life. No weapon formed against my family will prosper. No weapon formed against my finances will prosper. No weapon formed against my mind will prosper. No weapon formed against my marriage will prosper. No weapon formed against Restoration Church will prosper. No weapon formed will prosper in Jesus' name. God, we just take up faith. Lord, may we walk out of this place in faith. May we walk out of this place in faith with our heads held high, knowing who you are, knowing what you can do, God. May we walk out of here with faith, God, holding on to your word, walking in peace, walking in integrity, walking in your righteousness, full of faith, God, knowing that you are God that can do all that you said you can do.